This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project that features artists and arts professionals discussing their work, ideas, and lives, offering listeners a forthright and unique understanding about the process, experiences, and people behind the artistic pursuit. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, long-form, and unscripted. Deep Color is independently produced and a free resource for listeners. Help support Deep Color during our first-ever fall-winter fundraiser. We are producing and selling a limited number of t-shirts featuring artwork by Episode 38 contributor Maya Ruth Lee. The shirt features an image of Maya's Labyrinth Steel Glyph Chart, which was included in the 2019 Whitney Biennial. The image holds a wonderful range of visual information, from poetic text to sharp graphics and photos of Maya's sculptures. This classic fit unisex shirt is 100% cotton, sustainably made and printed at Kingsland Printing in Brooklyn. All proceeds will go towards offsetting deep color production costs and ensure excellent future programming. To see the shirt in order, visit the shop page at deepcolorpodcast.com. Maya and I are really excited about this collaboration. We hope that you'll show support by placing an order today. This episode profiles Hilary Petchis. Hilary makes illustrative acrylic paintings that depict landscapes, still lives, and interior scenes. She takes photographs of the settings that surround her, things like flower gardens, book and art collections, outtakes from dinner parties and pattern-heavy domestic spaces, usually from her own home, then translates the inherent flatness of these snapshots into dynamic, vibrant, and sincere paintings. The work puts a premium on portraiture without people, looking and documenting, and the joyful power of everyday moments that are right in front of us. We recorded this conversation remotely. Hillary was in her living room in Los Angeles, and I was in my kitchen in Brooklyn, so the audio quality is a little out of the ordinary. The same requests over and over. So, like, we could say... Martina Navratilova over a few times. Martina Navratilova. <laughs> Martina Navratilova. Or my mother's mustache. My mother's. My mother's mustache. <laughs> to s- oh, she would not like that. <laughs> <laughs> to sit in solemn silence on a dull, dark dock. <laughs> to sit in solemn silence. To sit in silum, solemn silence on a dull, dark uh, dock. You got it. I just looked that one up. I thought it was kind of good. Wow, that was quick. Anyways, are you sitting in your studio at the moment? Um, I'm actually sitting on my sofa, but I can see my studio from uh, from where I'm sitting. I can see most of it. I thought that would be kind of a nice place to start because you you have been operating for the past handful of years out of a home studio, correct? Correct. And, you know, I think a vast majority of artists working out there work from home, whether it's on their kitchen table or maybe they have a spare room in their home. Or like a, in a garage or in a basement, depending on the size of space they have. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's um, a majority, but definitely there's a lot more people working out of their home in Los Angeles than in any other city that I'm I'm familiar where there's concentrated right. um, artists. Right. Um, and that's you know mostly because there's um, there's more space and um, people tend to have like larger home spaces. Uh, which is not the case for me. My home is very small, <laughs> but it was convenient for other reasons. For sure. I guess I say a majority of artists 
working from home because I, you know, you and I live in cities and Mm -hmm. we also are operating in the contemporary art world where it's, it's quite common to have a separate studio space. But I think if I'm going to be fair, most, I mean, there's a broader population of artists outside of these cities. Um, I guess that's what I was referring to. And, um, but anyways, I thought it would be nice to talk to you as someone who works from home for now. I know you're looking for a larger space, but, but what the benefits of working from home are versus the, the things that aren't so great about working from home. Does anything come to mind when I, when I frame it like that for you? (laughs) Yes. Um, I am a big fan of the home studio, um, because, uh, like it allows me to, get in there um you know in all in all of like just the small moments like while I'm cooking dinner I can move in there and quickly gesso something or um you know in the evening um after my son went to bed I can work or for that matter while he's doing homework or playing um and um there's I mean there's also the lack of commute um so I'm saving a couple hours probably a day um in in with that also um i mean the the probably one of the downfalls would be the like the actual the lack of square footage um because as i mentioned my house is not very very big so therefore my studio is not very big um and um i i'm at this point i feel like i'm needing a little bit more space than what what i have um but i'm not gonna miss the i I mean i don't have any overhead that's the another thing is you know, I can, I'm working for free basically out of, um, you know, this like space. In my yeah, that's house. great. I mean, it sounds like yeah. it's a mix of, you know, practical stuff being close to it, um, and how that allows for being more using spontaneity in your work. I mean, that's something that I can't really do because I have mm-hmm. my spaces in a different location. And if I have that urge, it's kind of this production to go follow that urge. Not, not, so not <laughs> such the case with you working. From yeah. Home. No. And, there's, I mean, there's, I feel like there's other, um, there's some other downfalls, like studio visits are really awkward. Um, I mean, I do them pretty frequently, mm-hmm. um, because I, I don't want to, I, 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 I want to share my work with people if they're interested in seeing it at the studio, but I also feel like I need to tidy up my house, which is no other, no other artist with a studio outside their home feels like they need to tidy up the space around the studio or or even maybe their studio, I don't know. But I feel like I have to at least get things in order, which is, um, you know, a, a complete waste of time. Um, I so, get it, though. It's like cleaning up I, your, I, I mean, you're bringing people into your life in a way that's a little bit different <laughs> yes. than just going to like yeah. a dedicated art studio space, right? You're, you, it's your home. You're bringing people into your home. Absolutely. And there's also the part that I, I do um, so much of my painting is a representation of the space I live in that um, I want to, I don't want to do it a disservice by having like a pile of Legos out in the yeah, You want it to be accurate to you know, the, like, the paintings you're making maybe or something like that. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe I should just start painting piles of Legos. Yeah, in there my you go. Paintings. Well, here's a, here's a follow-up question. You know, sometimes I, I've gotten caught in this track where, you know, the, the like, professionalization of an artist and how collectors view the experience of visiting an artist's studio? Like, do you feel that 
collectors or people that want to come by for a studio visit don't take you as seriously versus someone that might have a dedicated studio? Or is that, is that a narrative that's, you know, falling apart or in my own head? You know, I don't think it's in your own head and it's something that I fear as well. Um, but on the other hand, um, I've, I've brought, I mean, I feel like I do at least four studio visits mm-hmm. a month. That's a lot. Maybe somewhere around there. I mean, I do, I feel like I'm once a week I'm doing them. Um, and I, you know, it, I, it's just, it's, it's really just the honest place that I'm working. So, um, I have in the past when there was like a, a big, uh, studio visit, I, I was going to move into my friend's studio, bring all my work down there. It was a beautiful, clean space. And, um, I, I ended up asking the, um, the person that we wanted to visit if I was just honest, I and I said, you know, I also, I really work mostly out of my house. Would you rather see it in a clean space or in, in my home? And they said, Oh, just what well, we want to see where you really work. So, um, I, to me, I, it's a lot of, I think I do have that fear that, um, a, a beautiful, nice studio would make me appear to be a more serious artist, but I'm also trying to not let those fears get in the way of like what I'm, what I, where I'm really at. Like the truth is that I, up until very recently I had a job and uh, I really needed to have a, a home studio so that I could make the most out of my, um, my limited time. Yeah. I mean, I think you, I mean, that's a great story. I mean, recognizing or hearing the, the collector or whoever it was that wanted to come over to the studio to say, I want to see where you work. Like there's a, there, it sounds like, or I want to believe that most people that come by studios are interested in like authenticity and not, not the sort of staged artist studio or, or something that's not quite the real deal. So um, why not bring them to your home if that's where you're working? Absolutely. And um, just to go back to that, I have had a, a few people come by that um, they were very quick visits. They were about 30 minutes. Um, they like looked around, you know, and I could kind of almost see them. They, I, I love advisors just to, to yeah. put that in, but they were advisors. So um, I could just see them like calculating really quickly, like, you know, like sales or something. And I, and I, I don't think like that wasn't exactly, um, if, if it's just going to be a quick studio visit just to like see what's there and not, not actually have like a conversation, then maybe that's not the, maybe, maybe bringing those people over to my house is not right. When it's like really revolving around commerce or something as opposed to ideas (laughs) and making. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's okay too. I think all of it is good. Um, Right now, it's a good experience for me to, you know, just have these conversations regardless. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I guess to yeah. bookend the, the studio uh, conversation or part of the conversation here, you know, you, you mentioned a couple different types of visits just now. Do you, is can you think of an ideal studio visit? What like the best case scenario for, or what you really love about a, a healthy studio visit when someone comes by? Um. You know, I, I like having a studio visit where somebody comes in and is, is seeing something differently than the way that I see it. And it can, it brings up issues like, and it it starts more of a dialogue, um, than me just saying, this is what this, this is what this is a painting of. And, um, so I, I like to hear 
I like people's interpretations and um, just to have a like kind of a fluid conversation that involves like narratives and um, not just about this is a painting of my right. mom's dog, which is, you know, that's what I'm a painting I'm looking at right now is a painting of my mom's dog. <laughs> <Right. laughs> so yeah, sort of those yeah. wide ranging conversations that go in and out of a work and yeah. bounce off of what's next to it. And even maybe some of the other things in the studio for sure. Absolutely. And I like to hear how people can relate to them as well. Um, and, um, and why, you know, what, what makes them interested in it. And yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, let's yeah. pivot into your work or talk more about your work. You, is it fair to say okay. or accurate to say that you make observational landscape and still life paintings? Yes. Yeah. A pretty that's straightforward a description, description <laughs> but um, yes. Maybe you could talk about some of the the scenes that you're painting or describe them for listeners. Uh, you know, some of the components sure. that you find important, including your pictures, whether it's a still life or a landscape. So, yeah, I, I typically work between like still lifes and and landscapes, like you said. Um, most of them are from my immediate surroundings in Los Angeles, um, being most of them are um, images from my home or my friends' homes or places that I frequent. They um, are all painted from photographs, usually from my phone. So my phone mm-hmm. is covered in paint. Um, and um, I use the images as like a, mostly as like a starting off place, something in, in the, like the composition or the colors um, is mm-hmm. appealing to me. And, um, so I use it as a, like a jumping off place, um, then for me to just like, um, really get into the, the trying to make sense of that with paint. Um, and I feel like, you know, it's always, always my, my earnest attempt to make a, make a painting of the image as best that I can. And in that, I don't always know how it's going to end like how how it's going to end up because i'm working through issues things i don't know how to render or um don't know how to depict like with light or um that that types of things so i there's this the paintings don't always turn out the way that i think they're going to that's interesting especially since you have a photo as a starting point i mean there's a lot of the information sort of established but it's it's still like there's some mystery involved in translating that it sounds like uh, yes, there's mystery to me as well. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I don't, I mean, I, of course I, you know, I was in school for a long time and I, I feel like I was a pretty, uh, I was a pretty good like uh, renderer for a child, but I think that might be where it stopped. Maybe um, my, um, like I, I'm not, I don't, I'm never like over really overthinking like how I'm rendering stuff. And I do like to look at things like, uh, like I, I, I enjoy a, like a flat looking paint. So I, um, it's, yeah, there's, um, there's always like a little bit, I'm not, not always exactly sure how things are going to translate right. from a photo to uh, my right. paintings. Can you, let's talk about that translation. Cause you're, you're taking a photograph and then you're making, I, mm-hmm. I correct me if I'm wrong. You're making a drawing from that photograph that acts as sort of the, the underdrawing for the painting. And then you apply paint on top there's the the two typologies really, or, or maybe three there's interiors and still lifes and, um, 
landscape paintings um, for the most part. Um, with the landscape paintings, I make a drawing um, before I make the painting because I, um, I really need to figure out the space and reduce the palette and um, kind of like with a, with a landscape image, there's just so many organic wobbly shapes and um, you know, a, like a bazillion colors in that um, palette. So uh, that's like too much, I think for me to process. And it's, I, f I go into it the way that you would enter a room where you're not looking at every single thing in the room necessarily. You're picking out the things that are important to you or that's that catch your eye. So in doing like by doing that, when I'm painting a landscape, I, I can pick out the important parts, make a drawing, and then I work from, right. and then I work from the drawing. So, um, like I, I mean, I make a, I, to, to make a drawing, um, I print out an image from like on my printer and I color, I use color pencils over the top of that. And then I use that as like a, um, just the image that I'm working from rather than working from my phone. All right. So it's going through a, three, a, a few different translations. First, the photo, then the, then the drawing, then the colored in drawing. And then you're using kind of that? Yes. Yeah. And, but, um, but I don't necessarily do that for, I mean, I rarely do that with the other, the other um, like interiors and still lifes because there's enough, um, there's enough hard edges for me to figure things out. Um, and there's also the palette tends to already be reduced because we're working with synthetic um, colors. So there's oftentimes, you know, um, like whatever else is in the, in the image, if it's, a, you know, if it's um, a plate, um, you know, or something that there's, it's not made of a million colors and I can um, separate things out like shadow and, um, and other elements like, you know. Yeah. It sounds like it's a little easier to see. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> have you ever so. made, uh, like, a plein air painting, like just set your, like an easel up and painted the scene in front of you? Or is there, have you arrived on some sort of advantage from taking a photo and how that kind of flattens everything down? Yeah. I mean, when I was in school, I did plein air painting and I, I did enjoy it quite a bit, but, um, it, it, things tend to get a little bit muddy for me. And, um, I personally like having, um, like more defined edges and yeah, I, I think, I think that, <laughs> I think photos serve me better than, than, um, than like, uh, plein air or, or like any type of, um, still like real time painting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to, you know, some of the things that I think are reoccurring in your paintings, uh, that, that from my point of view as a viewer is they contain a, a series of objects, whether it's, it's coffee cups or books or plates of food that have been eaten. There's usually uh, some sort of floral arrangement uh, in the picture, there's textiles, mm -hmm. you know, tablecloths, cushions um, that often are uh, embellished with different types of wonderful patterning. Um, uh, there's, you know, the mm -hmm. when I mentioned books, there's often like the spine of a book. So you're showing us the title, which is information for me to take in. Um, you know, these these are these can act mm -hmm. as portraits. I know that's something that gets brought up about your work often these, the, the fact that these are portraits, yet there's no people in them. I also sort of see them as portraits of some sort mm -hmm. of va value system 
Um, th there's a, a lifestyle that comes through in these pictures. A lot of the scenes are relaxing and pleasant and sort of like the before or after shot of a social interaction. Um, you know, there's two coffee cups or like a plate of half eaten strawberries, like the, the, the two people just left or the few people just left. So there's a little bit of narrative in your pictures too. Um, am I leaving anything out? Mm -hmm. Uh, what, 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 what sorts of things did I forget to mention there? <laughs> no, I think, I think, I think you've pretty much nailed it. I, I, um, I, there's, there's a lot of what, what you just said, or a lot to what you just said. Um, but just, um, I mean, something I do, I very much enjoy painting are um, other people's artworks, handicrafts, textiles, um, uh, fonts, things that are not necessarily my voice, like, or my part of my vocabulary with uh, mark making. Um, but I, it gives me like an opportunity to um, like try something else out um, in my, with my own types of, of marks. Um, so those are things that do um, make their way into my paintings quite frequently. And the other part of that is that, um, like I mentioned, most of these are paintings from inside my home or friends' homes. So inevitably there's, um, it's the, the, it is the lifestyle or the, the, you know, the, the types of things that I have in my home. Um, um, so uh, you know, it's, it's easy for me to quickly reference those things. Um, I, I also, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking photos probably of the same thing that we're all taking photos of, I guess. Um, like, um, as far as like half empty or half eaten meal or, you know, like images of from restaurants or, um, um, just like, you know, compositions that I find appealing. Um, also, I mean, we're, I'm, I love looking at, um, you know, at art books. Um, and so that's something that's there. They're always around. We have, you know, um, we're, I mean, we have a, a huge library of, um, you know, artists, monographs and, um, and uh, catalogs. And I mean, it's like ever growing. So they're always, we're all, they're always out and I'm constantly looking at them and, um, um, you know, and so I feel like they're also like an easy thing to nod, like by adding them or putting them in still life paintings. It's like a nod to, um, you know, a lot of the artists that I'm like looking at or inspired by. Yeah, yeah. I think we talked about this last time. I mean, I sort of interpreted those things as kind of these clues mm -hmm. uh, that led me into, yeah, the set of influences that you might have or even even these things that maybe you want the viewer to check out. Uh, you know, I feel like you, I could look at your paintings, particularly the ones that mm -hmm. have um, all the text and books in them. Um, I, I feel like I could I could create a write a, a reading list to take home and, and check those things out, which is kind of a, <laughs> a nice way to interact with an artwork. I think. I mean, I and I it's I don't always it's not always art books because um, you know realistically when we're looking at someone else's bookshelf even if they're an artist or if they are a collector or, you know, interested in arts for, in one way or another, they they inevitably have other books as well. Um, and I can think of in particular a, a painting that was just um, up at Halsey McKay. It was a painting of my brother's bookcase, which had um, a fair amount of art books because he and his wife uh, collect, but they, um, but there was also um, a lot of hair books because he is a hairdresser and fashion books because he works in the fashion industry, things like that. Um, 
um, you know, that it's like I, I'm definitely, um, you know, when I'm painting still lifes of my own home or certain homes, there's tends to be one or one type of book and in another home and maybe it's another type of book. Yeah, that's great. That goes back to the portraiture. I mean, the, the picture of your, the painting of your brother's yes. bookcase, yeah, it's going to align with his interests in a way, and that's going to come through in the final image. That's great. You know, one of the reoccurring questions I ask artists in this project is uh, what they're thinking about while they're working, whether they're focused on, you know, pure execution and getting that brushstroke just right, or does the way they work allow them to wander psychologically and think about other things, or maybe to Mm -hmm. back and forth between the two? What's going on in your mind while you're making these? You know, I I do think there's a lot of back and forth and probably because there's, um, they're not like, they're not the paintings. I'm not like emotional when I'm making them or, you know, there's, um, there's spaces where I'm more focused and there's spaces in, in each painting where I'm really just trying to like fill in space to, for lack of a better way to describe it. Um, so, and I, I kind of bounce back and forth for wh- how, what I need at that moment. And, um, you know, I, I, the reality is most of the time also I'm, I'm listening to either podcasts or audiobooks in my studio. Um, and um, so for a majority of the painting, I, I'm, you know, like, you know, ha- half listening to something else and also half paying attention to what I'm actually doing, which sometimes leads me, you know, to make marks that I'm, I, to do things I'm not supposed to. But it also kind of um, a lot of happy accidents happen that way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I can identify with that. And I also think like the time of day will dictate what I'm thinking about. Like if it's three, four o'clock and I'm still at studio working, I'm starting to think about what I'm going to make for dinner for the children when I get home. Like in the midst of trying to figure out this, you know, compositional <laughs> problem in the picture I'm working on. So I think, <laughs> you know, life life enters in mysterious ways. Absolutely. And, and when things are very complicated, I, I have to um, have complete silence. And um, that's usually um, when I make making big decisions or try or like having a tough time trying to work through something. I, um, you know, I, I, I need quiet, but I also need no person around me, um, which having a home studio means that's those those things are probably not getting worked out on a weekend when my son is here. <laughs> um but um, yeah, I, I, I do, I'm pretty, I'm grateful that there's th- these opportunities for both in my work. And I'm guessing probably in yours also where there's, um, there's times where there's, you know, critical decisions to be made or like to work through something conceptually. Um, and then there's times that you can just fill in space. You know, I, I feel like it's important to mention these are acrylic paintings and, you know, so you're, you're, you're there's a tempo in which you have to use acrylics because they dry pretty quickly. Um, I, I imagine you've figured out how to manage that pretty well, mm-hmm. or is it, does it complicate things? Um, do you ever think about <laughs> making oil paintings? Why acrylic? That's a good question. Um, I, I, I do, I do not have a problem with the drying time at all. I, I, I'm very like, I feel like that serves me well, especially since I do paint, um, like layer after layer, I, I, especially if the colors are not quite right, I, I like mm-hmm. to be able to work on top of that right away. Um, and I do like, I like the idea of oil paint for environmental reasons, but the, um, 
I, I'm not interested in any type of color blending, like, um, or um, the depth that that oil paint can can give. I so I think oil paint. I mean, I think uh, acrylic paint really serves yeah. what I my yeah. what I want it to look like better. Um, there's a flatness, and there's yeah, there's the the overall appearance is like what I I I really enjoy. Yeah, I remember you mentioning before that, that like color blending and getting those gradients is is not of interest to you. And I think acrylic lends itself yeah. well to kind of this blocking in um, method of using color, and that suits 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 you well for how you put together a picture. And and honestly, I I one time I I remember maybe a couple of years ago I was painting a bowl and it had it was I accidentally kind of made it too. Yeah like the shadows were like too perfect and uh-huh. there was like this perfect gradient as, as it rounded. And <laughs> I thought, Oh no, this cannot happen. You know, so I quickly blocked it out and made like just the three good, you know, the light part of the bowl, the, the more true color part of the bowl and the dark shadowed part of the bowl. And it was, it, <laughs> I was a, a lot happier with that. So. Yeah. I mean, it, it lends to the graphic quality of your paintings as well as I think the strong drawing, you know, um, maybe we could talk about drawing a little bit more, you know, there's, you mentioned you, you take liberties and make changes when assigning colors. If you think the, the, the relationships aren't quite what you want them to be, but I also feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's, you know, when you're re, when you're, mapping out the composition you're elongating stuff you are manipulating some of the angles um things aren't aren't like uh you know academically accurate which also lends to the impact of your picture and and gives it these this kind of personal touch can you talk about that distortion a little bit in the drawing absolutely and um so when i when i go to start a painting i like you mentioned i map it out um pretty quickly um, just to figure out the overall composition. Um, I am at that moment doing my very best to render it in a quick way um, as accurately as I can. And um, I know that there's a, like a, at the, I know that at the end of the painting, there tends to be a, a wonkiness with perspective, but in the moment that I'm making the draw, the like mapping out my, my painting, I'm doing the mo the best job that I can. And, and then I work from there. Um, so, and I, I guess that I'm not, I'm not as interested in g- getting things incredibly accurate as I am just to get the information in there, the things that stick out to me. Like, um, for example, I, at right now I'm looking at this painting of my mom's dog sitting on my sofa and there's things in the, in the photograph that I really liked. Like there was some um, stitching on the back of a, this blanket that my dog, that my mom's dog is sitting in front of that is I, that seemed to be like a very, like something that I wanted very much to see. Um, whereas the, um, dog that's in front of it, um, has, I'm not sure how, how well he'll be rendered. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I, I know, I know from, just like looking at this, it, the at looking at the image, the first thing I went to is wanting to paint the stitching, and um, so in the last thing is this dog that is sitting in front of it. So um, I, but I, 
back to like the mapping out and the drawing of, or the, and the perspectives, um, I, once I start painting into it, it's almost too much for me to go back because there's just, there's too many layers. There's too much history in there to, to try and fix anything. And there's another part of this as well as that my studio measures all of 11 and a half by seven and a half feet. So there's not as much space for me to get back. So I do move it around in my house a bit, um, but sometimes by the time I get to that point, my the painting's too close to being done for me to really um, change much. And I, I know you would in the past ask me about some like magic, and I feel like that too is when when the magic happens is when you finally step back and you realize like, whoa, like I didn't, this is not what I thought I was painting, and. Um, you know, and, and, but this is, this is what I, this is what I've made. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I have known your work for, I want to say 10 or 12 years or something like that. And I thought maybe we could talk about how it's changed or how it's arced in that time and, and how the life changes that took place in the past eight years or something like that have sort of nudged you into this new direction. Um, when I first saw your work, it was, it was digital collages. And then all this stuff, all these life changes took place. And, you know, I, I feel like those life changes led you to making these wonderful observational paintings. Could you talk about some of those changes that took place and how you got from A to B? So in actually, when I was in grad school, I was actually making like paper collage with, you know, cutting out paper and um, and so that was like the, my, that was the kind of the, the start of the collage work. Um, and, um, at that time, uh, a teacher had suggested that I have a, a side project or a side practice just in case that didn't work out. Um, and this way it would, it would be something to keep doing while I was figuring out the next thing. Um, so at that time I had, um, I started making some paintings. They, I wasn't making them terribly regularly, but um, I was happy with them. And I even, um, I even exhibited one alongside the collage work that I was making um, just to show that I was like, also I had something else. Like it was conceptually related a little bit to um, the work that the collage work. So I felt like it, it, um, it fit in, but Anyway, um, I so I, I got out of school. I was making this coll- the digital collage work, and it was really fun. I felt like it was um, at that moment uh, photography was having a uh, like a renaissance. There was um, you know like so much attention to the new photography, and um, so it was again it was an inspiring time to me and um, and like I, I'm not a trained photographer, but I. Um, felt very comfortable working in um, uh, like with other people's images and um, collaging them together. So, um, but at some point, um, you know, I did that for a little while. And at some point I felt like I was, it didn't feel genuine to me. It felt like exhausting. And um, I also felt like I was at, you know, along with artists making, you know, um, having like, you know, with this like renaissance of photography, um, there was like, I, I also felt like advertisers were um, u- using photography in a new way. And I 
I felt like every time I turned around, I saw, you know, the things that I was interested in making or that I had made being replicated in a, in a commercial or on an ad. And it, and I just like it, the, I was, I was exhausted and um, I had also just had a child. And so my brain didn't want, didn't want, I didn't feel like I wanted to be challenged in that way um, to try and keep up or, um, be clever. And, um, you know, I was just like really tired <laughs> at that point. I, um, I mean, I was still, I, I still kept up my practice because the fear at this point, I was like five years out of grad school or so. And I, you know, the, they, they tell you, you know, in 10 years, only 5% of you will be actually making work and showing or something like that. So I don't know how true that is because I feel like every person I know, <laughs> every person I know has, has heard the same thing. But um, um, anyway, so I kept making work, but it it, it felt pretty crummy. And um, at some point, I decided to, you know, kind of pick up this painting thing again. And um, we had also just moved to L.A., which had a, like all these new, you know, inspiring things around the, the light. Mm -hmm. There was also um, a slower pace here. Uh, and I felt like I could actually like just meditate on an image and go and make a painting from that. So I, there was a lot of factors um, that brought me back to painting. Um, but once it like I decided this is what I'm doing, it was just like it was so on at that point. And there was like endless things I can paint. You know, I could I could just paint uh, you know anything around me and. Um, I felt like, you know, it was like so liberated from the, the, the constraints of digital collage. So, right. Right. You know, I mentioned your partner's name, Andrew, the great Andrew Schultz, you know, and I, I'm friends with him as well. And I mm -hmm. asked him what topics he thought would be great to talk to you about him knowing you as well as he does, obviously. And he, and he, and he sent me the, the sexy topic of time management, <laughs> uh, and you know, I, I, you know, I make a joke there, but it's important, especially for um, artists that are also parents. So, and he and he said that you're an absolute wizard at time management. Oh, uh, can you that's can so you sweet. can you talk about how you how you manage your time in the midst of um, your studio practice and being a parent and maintaining a social life and i know you you were working for a number of years at a gallery and we'll get to that but I, there was a job in the middle of it all how 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 are you balancing all these different things yeah i i feel like time management is uh you know once you have a child it it immediately sets up like a schedule for you from the beginning like when they are born they they need to eat on these like every two hours. I think um, I forget. <laughs> um, <laughs> they need to eat a lot though, and so there's the, immediately there's a schedule. And as much as I I think before Apollo was born, I remember saying he will adapt to my schedule. I'm still gonna go out all the time, and right, right. he will just need to learn to like sleep <laughs> on the run. Yeah, and. I mean, what like an ignorant thing to say in retrospect, <laughs> because um, I mean, naps were like the most important part of my day. His, I mean, his nap where I could, you know, get something done. 
Um, but but um, so this, like, I think that the child really helps with time management, um, setting up, they, they, they have these schedules, they, um, and, and then once they're of school age, they have the school day and, um, you know, whatever, like lessons they're uh, partaking mm-hmm. in and, um, you know, their bedtime and all of that. So um, that I th- do feel like that was helpful. And then having a job also, um, you know, there was um, a, a start time and right. an end time of my day every, you know, for, I worked four days a week. So um, that was helpful. And then, at, then the third thing, I think that the, the, like, as far as like ranking importance um, in my, my schedule, at least at that time, a few months back would be my art practice. Unfortunately, it took third to my son and my job. Um, but so in order to really, you know, make like, I, I mean, I, I, I knew that I wanted to be a serious artist. It, that wasn't a question. There was also some, the factor of like, you know, sustaining like a, a household and stuff. So I had to have a job, but in order to make the studio work and like actually dedicate enough time to it, like I have to either wake up early or, um, stay, you know, like not go out at night perhaps and, and stay and work at the, in the studio. Um, or my weekends were ex- really dedicated to studio. And I, um, my husband, Andrew, who's also an artist, um, you know, he, we, we divided up our weekends pretty fairly so that he got some studio time and I did as well. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we have a pretty rigid schedule. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think that's what we have to do. We have to do this. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily feel like I'm, I, I don't think that I am like naturally the most organized person, but having a job, um, it really helped me with that. Um, just like getting organized and like making and realizing that this is also, this is my job, my studio, and I, I need to treat it like a job and I need to work as hard for myself as I would for, um, another person. Right. That's, that's a good way to look at it. Let's talk about your job that you had up until recently. Congratulations. I know you, you kind of, you stepped away from it recently. Um, to pursue Woo-hoo. being a full-time artist, which which is great, uh, but you worked at a, a, a at a at a fairly big gallery in Los Angeles, yeah. uh, one that we could we could kind of um, label a blue chip gallery. Yes. So you got a you got you got a firsthand sort of behind the scenes look at how these big galleries operate, uh, how the marketplace operates, and how artists at a certain level operate. Can you share a handful of important takeaways that you think would be great uh, for listeners to hear? Yeah, I, I was at this at the gallery for five years. I was one of many registrars there. Um, at, so I handled logistics and, and legal aspects of, um, of artwork. So like consignments and loans and uh, shipping and uh, documenting and condition reports. So that's like, that sums up what like a registrar would do. Um, and I, my focus was actually with client shipping. So I like post sales, I would, um, I would work with either the, um, client or the advisor and, um, and hook them up with a shipper to safely transport their artwork, um, domestically or internationally. So, um, it was like the not sales side of things, um, exactly. And, and probably like the least sexy part of working in a gallery. Um, (laughs) but, um, for me, it was, um, 
it was my first like behind the scenes venture into what a blue chip gallery looks like. Um, you know, I had worked in a small gallery before where we shipped maybe a, a piece or two a week. Um, whereas in this gallery, they were shipping, you know, hundreds of works all the time. Um, so um, that gave me the opportunity to um, just, you know, like that the volume um, and the amount of, of business that was transacting. Yeah, it was all uh, scaled was, up. Um, just that much greater than a, like a small gallery. Um, all scaled up. And, and there, the benefits of that, I mean, there were so many, so many benefits. I feel like working at the gallery rivaled my, maybe not rivaled, but it, it was just as important as grad school. Um, whereas in grad school, I was pointed to like the right things to read and like, you know, the dialogue of the contemporary art world and, um, that, you know, having studio visits and those types of conversations, whereas working in the gallery, I feel like I learned, um, more like the professional, um, like the business side and, um, you know, and for them, the reality is that most artists are working in, um, they're, you know, they're making an object that is for sale. Um, so, um, I mean, it gave me an, it kind of gave me like a, an idea of like how that all works and how to be professional about it and, um, seeing, and I had the opportunity to see some, like see some amazing artworks for one, but also see some amazingly run studios and, um, and I could also, also saw, you know, like bad behavior, um, uh, from, you know, all around, you know, um, <laughs> just artists behaving badly, um, you know, um, people, uh, you know, em employees at the gallery behaving badly, um, you know, things like museums, not, you know, not having their stuff together. And for me, the thing I've learned the most is just to be organized, to keep very good track of my own, mm -hmm. um, like in, in like where things have gone, um, you know, uh, who, who ha who's has which works, the uh, images, um, uh, you know, all of, you know all of that stuff. Um, the the provenance of works because you, I just feel like you you know working at a blue chip gallery is wonderful because you have a, a you know a huge team of people working for you, but um, working with smaller galleries, they don't have the, that luxury of having, you know, a, a, a huge staff. So it's really, I think the, um, it's, you know, the duty of the artist to keep track of that stuff. And um, I mean, I feel like I've also looked at enough like artists um, monographs where there's, I'm like looking at the images and I'm thinking, God, these are terrible images. And it's from their, their whole history, um, you know, going back like 20 years and it, you know, obviously they, they didn't have great images. So they're pulling images from wherever. Right. And when you, when you say images, you mean like documenting your artwork, taking photographs of, of, of the artwork um, and maybe using a real camera as opposed to a phone camera. Although phone cameras are pretty good these days. Yeah, for, for some things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the, so those are the things I, I feel like I, I, it's the professional, like the business side is what I, that, that knowledge is something that I, I don't, I didn't necessarily get in grad school and for many reasons, but, um, so I, I, I'm grateful for it. And, and I also would advise anybody in grad school possibly that does plan on showing in a mm -hmm. gallery, um, if they're working, if they're making like objects or, you know, that I'm um, doing a, a, um, 
you know, like getting a job in a, in a gallery or, um, you know, or, or, or being an assistant to an artist or, or anything like that, it, it can be incredibly beneficial. Yeah. I, I feel like just real quick, maybe we can add this into, you've mentioned uh, in past conversations I've had, you've, 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 you've witnessed pretty established or artists or artists that are doing really well in the marketplace suddenly bottom out their market just vanished underneath them. So you've seen firsthand how the market can, mm-hmm. can like take a, take a turn and, and leave people that thought they were doing really well, suddenly not doing well. Um, I feel like there must be value in seeing that happen, especially at that scale. Yes. I think, it, I mean, it's also, um, like you said, I mean, I, I, I've seen that artists that had worked up with the gallery or, and, and elsewhere, you know, we've all seen this, you know, these, these trends in art and how one moment there's an artist that's like appears to be the market darling. And then, you know, a few years later, the, um, they're at auction and, and they can't, nobody is buying the work. It's tanking. Um, and I, I feel like it's just a good reminder to all of us that regardless of how many, likes we have on Instagram or how well our work is selling at, um, you know, at the moment that, um, you know, in, in one, two, five years, it might not be what's being favored. And that doesn't devalue the work at all. Um, and on the flip side, just because it's, it's selling doesn't mean that it's any good. Um, it might just be what's like, you know, trending at the moment. And, um, so I, I think it's just a, a good reminder to not get like, you know, to keep your ego in check. And, um, yeah, I, it's, I feel like it's, it's, it's unfortunate to see that happen to an artist and, um, we all hope it doesn't happen to us, but it's also just one of the, um, realities that, um, we all face. Yeah. We all face. Yeah. Yeah. And just having an awareness that that happens is important too. Um, you know, I believe that, we are the sum of our support network and our community that surrounds us. And I think these, that this group is important to help us make mm-hmm. the work that we make. Can you talk about who's in your support network and maybe talk about your community a little bit and how you built it? Uh, you know, that sounds so transactional, like building community these days, but uh, you understand what I mean. Um, can you talk about the, like who, who, who your, who your network is? Sure, sure. Um, and like, I, I feel like it, it, that goes along so much too with like what we were just talking about, like with like ego and, and all of that. I, I do feel like it's, um, it's important. I mean, it's really important to establish these like networks because um, yeah, the, the reality is that we all are going to need some support at some point, you know? Um and, um, or, and we can, or we can be the one offering the support. Um, but most of my, most of my close friends are artists and most of my closest of those close friends are also parents. And there seems to be this, like, I, I just, there's so many, um, similarities in our schedules, um, and understandings that, um, we have amongst each other, which makes it, um, like just really easy. We can, we all know what it's like to try and make work when, you know, like a a child is not taking a nap or something like that. Um, um, there's also, I mean, the, I think probably the most important person in my support network would be my husband, Andrew. 
um, who's all, as you mentioned, he's also an artist. Um, he's also been like exhibiting and, um, and just doing like projects longer than I have and has had a good understanding of, of like how to go about that, that side, like the business side of stuff. Um, and he also has a magnificent understanding of materials. <laughs> so yeah. he's, he's like a technical he, wizard. He is a technical wizard. <laughs> he, um, so he's usually my first, my go-to um, when it comes to, when I'm having any technical problems. Um, so, and, and, you know, along with that, there's, um, because I mean, I'm, I'm always around these, you know, my, my few closest friends, it's the, our conversations are effortless. Um, we're, constantly talking about, uh, you know, art in one capacity or another, um, and, um, and our children. <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, this is also something that we've talked about before. Um, and maybe I can set it up like this. You know, there, I started this deep color project, I think three years ago. Um, and you know, then there was a bunch, there was a handful of arts centered mm-hmm. or arts focused podcasts. Now there are, a ton more. Uh, so I'm um, occupying a, a, a semi-crowded space. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really believe in that. I, I think the more mm-hmm. platforms for all these different art podcasts, um, the better. You know, there's so many different voices and so many different stories out there. The, the more platforms to get them shared, the better. Uh, you know, you're making landscape and uh, still life paintings, which has a long tradition, a long history. And, you know, it continues to be, uh, you know, a, a fairly crowded zone of art making. And I'm just wondering how you, where you see yourself in that crowded field and, and how you reconcile that or how you make peace with, with, with that long history. Yes. Yes. I, I love this topic. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I definitely am making um, work in the, same vein as artists have been forever like trying like depicting something from life especially within like that those like few typologies of like still life and landscape etc um and what i can offer is just my own interpretation of of the way i I view those spaces um and my marks making maybe slightly different than someone else's or my color Mm -hmm. choices or you know, those are the things that make it like different. And I would say the same would go for podcasts um, because there's, um, there are, you know, quite a few art podcasts out there. There's a handful that I listen to. Um, some of them I listen to because I like the hosts. Um, they're, I like the way that they kind of navigate the conversation. Others I like the, um, you know, the uh, guests they bring on. Um, so I'm not maybe listening as to those as often Mm -hmm. as the, like the ones that just have like a, a a flow that I I like. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't, I, I guess I don't feel the need to like defend, um, uh, making something similar to somebody else. Um, and because I, I, I'm just, you know, I, I feel like they're there when you're actually standing there and if you're looking and if you're if you're only trying to see the similarities, then you're only going to see the similarities. But if you are like really standing there and looking at the the work, there's 
so many very different aspects to them. Yeah, yeah. And I'll also argue, you know, it's coming out of your hand and out of your mind and it defaultly is going to be yours and not someone else's. Um, I think that's important to remember. I mean, that's like very basic idea, but I think it's an important one. I uh, recently, this was just, I think about a week ago, I had this great idea for a painting and I made it and I was so pleased with it. And Andrew looked at it and said, oh, that looks really familiar. I, I think I've seen something so similar. I mean, it's really familiar to me. And I was like, yeah, me too. I don't know what though, you know, and, and then um, a, a couple days later, a curator came over to the house and she had curated a show um, at a museum here in LA that I saw. <laughs> so I saw the show and she said, oh, do you know so-and-so's work? This is the image that we use for <laughs> the, um, for the um, you know, for like the, the main image for the show. And I just was like beat red. And, it's, and um, so anyway, it was like, I, I, you know, I didn't intentionally paint a very similar painting to this other artist's work, but I did. <laughs> so Yeah. What, did you just take a, a picture of the same thing that they used or something or how, uh... no no it, it happened to be a, um, a a very similar situation it was it's different there's all the different you know all different differences in the painting it happens to be there's like I two see. main components to the painting and they're both they're, they're like pretty similar <laughs> but you know what I I didn't I mean I, I at that point then pulled up the image and I thought, this is a, I mean, this is like a common, this is something that occurs all the time. It's not that big of a deal. It just so happened that the show hadn't, it, it came down not that long ago and they're very similar. And she was right there. And I, I was a little embarrassed, but it, it, we were able to have a, like a long conversation about that. This is something that happens all the time. And I, I'm not, um, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to constantly try to find something new to paint. That's not my interest at all. I like finding right. things that are familiar to me and, and using that as like a jumping off point to then just, you know, figure out my, figure out. The right. Paint. Yeah. That's well said. You know, sometimes I think about the pursuit of an artist and what, what I'm chasing, what am I after? What, what are my desires? What am I working towards? Um, and then when I'm feeling content and happy as an artist, does anything come to mind when I sort of, put a sentence like, like that in front of you in terms of satisfaction. Um, what are you working towards or what's making you push forward? I think ideally I want to make paintings that I am surprised by the outcome. Um, or I like the way something worked out in it unintentionally. And I think that's probably... I mean, I, I would, I guess I think a, a lot of artists do that. I, I'm assuming so when you're surprised by something um, and it's not necessarily like, that's why I feel like I can continue to work through the same typologies is because in every painting, something new is happening. Um, there's always a surprise. There's always something that I didn't anticipate. Um, and I mean, I guess I would say the exception is that I've done some uh, like commission a couple commissions where people ask for very specific things and I just kind of like you know busted them out but yeah I, um, pure execution yeah pure execution I want this this and this on this um, 
So, but, um, you know, for the most part, I don't, I don't really do very many commissions. Um, and, um, so I got, yeah, I, I basically want to be like there to be some, a little bit of mystery. I want to not know how to execute something and to get to, and get to a place where the painting is finished. Yeah. It sounds like problem solving, surprise, and then learning along the way. Uh, and, and like having, having some new idea at the end of it. That's great. Who would you rather throw a pie at? A, Pablo Picasso, B, Renoir, or C, Damien Hirst? <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, I don't like Renoir. So, um, and I mean, I just, the paintings I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of. That would be my uh, initial, um, my initial one. Uh, yeah, I'll just stick with that. Sure. I can stomach, I like Picasso. I can stomach Damien Hirst. So, can we disagree that there's like way too much ego in that um, in, in, the, in that, those three options? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was kind of the point. Uh, okay, question two. Uh, what would you rather make? A watercolor of the Joker or vegan chili? Oh, vegan chili. 100%. That sounds amazing. I'm, I'm all about it. Yeah. I'm not a vegan. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to be kind of uh, on topic. That Joker movie just came out that everyone's talking about. And I thought a watercolor of that character would be maybe one of the worst things I could think of. <laughs> you know what? I'm guessing that somebody is, pr- I'm guessing if you were to sign on to Etsy and, and look for it, you would probably find it. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? I'll be honest. Uh, if I went back into the box of artwork I made in the seventh and eighth grade, there's plenty of Joker drawings, believe me. <laughs> Okay, the last question. What would you rather do with your husband, Andrew? A, go skateboarding. B, paint a giant mural on the side of a skyscraper. Or C, hacky sack at a public park together. (laughs) You know Andrew way too well. Um, I would definitely not go skateboarding with them because um, I don't know how to skateboard and he clearly does um painting a mural on the side of a giant skyscraper also sounds pretty awful because he um knows what he wants and that he has like a very he's very methodical about this whole process hacky sacking i don't know that he knows how to hacky sock so i might have a chance at beating him at that um so i would probably opt for that (laughs) less serious (laughs) that was the that was the outlier unserious one. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Well, Hillary, I appreciate you speaking with me and sharing <laughs> more about your work yeah. and your life and also for doing this remotely with me. Um, you know, it was, I broke one of my rules. I always, I've always believed in, in being in someone's studio and looking them eye to eye and having these conversations and rebounding off the work in the room. I'm glad that I broke the rules for you and you being in Los Angeles and me being in New York. This has been great. Uh, And thank you again for participating in this project. Thank you. It was very much a pleasure. We've made it to the end. A quick reminder that Deep Color is independently produced and a free resource for listeners. Help support and sustain this project by making a donation online at deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also learn more about each contributing artist, 
find links to their online portfolios, and access the archive of past recordings. Be sure to share this project within your community and subscribe and rate in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks for listening and check back soon for a new episode.